Mark chapter 1, and we'll read from verses 4 through 11. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, quote, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Help us now as we spend a few minutes thinking about your word to us and responding to that appropriately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We can please God. Again, another fascinating thought. (laughs) We can actually be pleasant to Him. Not a nuisance. Not some two-year-old brat. But instead, we can actually please God. We have a couple two-year-old brats every once in a while around our house. We can please Him. We can find joy in this life. We can find happiness. We can move with purpose. We can be saved. We can be forgiven of our sins. Something only God can do. We can have a new start. And we have all these things in Jesus Christ, who is the good news of God. He is God's Word to us. And only in Him, in this person, this one person, do we find all of this. Epiphany is about God appearing to all people. Not just to the Israelites who had been given the promises, who had been given the covenant, but now in Christ, the true Israel emerges as for all people, Gentiles included. It's a time where we think about what He's done for us. What He's done for the world. Israel was never designed to just be themselves. They were always designed as a conduit, like a ditch through which the world would be blessed. 
the blessings of God would be concentrated in them so that all people could come to God. If you read the prophets, you get this. If you hear the psalmist talking, he's talking universal. He's not talking Israel-specific. And if you look at people such as Naomi and Ruth, Ruth being a Moabite woman, not an Israelite, and yet coming into the faith, being in the lineage of Jesus Christ Himself. It's a fascinating thing to understand that when God elects, He elects for the whole world. Election isn't about you. God calling you to salvation is not about you. It's about another. Because, believe it or not, we all affect one another. I can't even define myself. You say to me, who are you? Who is Marshall Dagg? I can't define myself without talking about other people. Because I'm not defined by myself. We are relational because God is relational. And in Him we have all the blessings that could ever come in this life. True felicity or happiness. Which is really what we all want. It's what we all strive for. When we have a headache, we take medicine so we can get back to a happy state. When we're hurting, we go to the doctor. Why? To get back to some type of happy state. In your soul, are, is it well? Are you happy? You can be. This is the good news of God. In our text today, and we've already had a four-part series on baptism in October and November. So I'm not going to rehearse again a theology of baptism. But what I do want to do is look at this text in the light of epiphany, God appearing to all people, and with the promises that we've been given in Jesus Christ that we just talked about and mentioned, and look and see how we are to respond to God in what He's done for us. Notice how Jesus responds here. Jesus responds by submitting, by being obedient. Of all people in the world, He doesn't need to be baptized. (laughs) Baptism, as John says, especially John's baptism, is one of repentance. He specifically says that they were coming, everyone was coming. And I don't think he's exaggerating when he says everyone was coming. I think literally in that area, everyone was coming because something was going on in the wilderness that had not been going on for 400 years. And that is, there was a true prophet of God speaking the words of God anointed by the Spirit. No, No prophet had emerged since Malachi that had this type of authority when he spoke. But John was the real deal. He had renounced the world, hence the camel's hair, leather belt, eating, you know, locusts, insects, and wild honey, living off the land, in the wilderness of all places. Much like what we would think of somebody who was an ascetic or a monastic type person, a monk. You know, they've renounced the world to live for God. This is what John did, but not only that, John was filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's what made John unique. Luke will fill us in on the fact 
of this filling. Remember, um, Elizabeth is actually overcome because the Holy Spirit actually fills John the Baptist when he's still in the womb. And when Jesus and him meet, and they're both in the womb still, it's a really fascinating scene to me, always. Here's a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit, and here is God, man, who also is filled with the Holy Spirit and sends the Spirit, and the Spirit proceeds from him, who is, they're both in the womb, and they're communicating without words, and John jumps and leaps for joy because he's happy. He has purpose. Has a specific purpose, and that is he's about to prepare the way for this one who has not even yet been born, and yet is still a person in the womb, responding to what God is doing. It's a fascinating scene to me. And the people here are coming because John is speaking the Word of God, and they know it. And they're repenting. They are confessing their sins and then being baptized. Now, baptism is used in, in uh, all kinds of religions. You know, you always see these pictures in India of them bathing in the river. That's a type of baptism. What they're saying is we're washing away this old life and coming into something new. A lot of times when you convert to a religion, you must be baptized in some form. It shows a death of the old way and a newness of the new way. It's just like being out in the wilderness for a week, like I was on a, on a wilderness trip. Uh, it was outdoor leadership class. And then finally, you know, the, the two things I wanted was a bath and a meal. I mean, I was longing for a bath, obviously, without a week, you know. One day my hair is greasy, much less a week. I don't even know what it looked like. I just, you know, I didn't have a mirror. I didn't really care to have a mirror. It was a bunch of dudes. Um, I had no one to impress. And, you know, you kind of get used to smell yourself after about a day or so. Um, so everything just smells the same. But after that week, let me tell you, when I got in that hot shower, it was, it was the most amazing thing emerging from that shower. I don't know if you're like me, but I don't even get started in the day. My day doesn't start with a cup of coffee. It starts with a shower. Um, the shower does something to me that, that coffee or caffeine or anything else can't do. I don't know what it is. It's about, I just emerge a person all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> I feel like in the mornings, I'm myself again. That picture of baptism is exactly what the point of baptism is. You're leaving an old way dirty way, maybe you're a wandering way, a way of darkness or sleepiness, and waking up to a new life with all kinds of new possibilities. As Christopher read this morning in Genesis and all the texts this morning were focused on baptism and the Holy Spirit, fascinating enough, which is exactly what I'm trying to draw out from the text this morning, and that is... What do we get? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void. And who? The Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of what? The deep waters. And then what happens next? Day one, light. The Holy Spirit brings light to darkness. He brings order where there's chaos. Where there's unformed nothingness, he brings structure. If that's what you need this year, order, structure to your life, purpose, meaning, there's only one person who can give that, and that is Jesus Christ. And what He's going to give you is not a handout. It's not a piece of paper. It's not a contract. It's a person, the Holy Spirit. 
He's going to give you another, a helper. One to come and live with you and be in you. As Casey read, what kind of baptism are you talking about if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit? That's the purpose of baptism, is to be able to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not just baptizing for repentance or for confession of sin. That's, that's only almost a... In, in, Paul, in uh, sorry, Luke's mind in Acts, it's almost an afterthought. No, no, hang on. Forgiveness, yes. Uh, confession, those are all necessary. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have salvation yet. It's not enough just to be forgiven of our sins. For too long we've preached forgiveness and confession without empowerment to live it. God is not just looking to excuse us, but instead to empower us to live the Christ life. As I said in the beginning here, we can actually please God. We can obey God. We can submit to God in the Spirit. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of another. And is it so unusual that I would say and point you to another being in you and with you? Not so much. We talk about it all the time. When we marry people, you're going to become one with them. Does that mean you lose your personhood? No. Does it mean you lose your uniqueness? No. It means that she is in my heart always, in my head. She's in me. That's me. My heart, my head, that's me. If I'm thinking about my children, they're in me in a real way. And God promises to be in us, doing things in our head, doing things in our heart, helping us to love those people who are not very lovable. Helping us to be gracious to people when we don't really want to give grace. Helping us to care when we're concerned with ourselves. God is doing stuff to us. Really? I mean, it's a real thing that's happening. Have you received the Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? You can please God. It's an amazing message. It's the good news of the Gospel. And Jesus shows us how by submitting to baptism. Submitting to this process of asking for forgiveness. Seeking to really, truly repent. You remember what other people come out to the wilderness to see? The leaders, religious leaders, the Pharisees, scribes, these guys, they come out and John says, you brood of vipers, what are you doing out here? You're not truly wanting to repent. He sends him away. I've never had to talk to somebody like that. I hope I never do. I don't think I have the authority to do such a thing. Unless the Spirit, of course, would, would tell me to do something like that. And I would, I would pray long and hard before I ever did. John is very blunt. And so is Jesus. When Jesus comes to this kind of thing, you remember what He says. This guy, come, three people come up to Him and said, Hey, we want to follow you. He says, Okay, leave all your stuff now. He says, no, well, I, I, my dad just died. I, I need to go back. You're not worthy to follow me. That's strong. <laughs> Another guy? Hey, I'm not going to have anywhere to lay my head tonight. 
Oh, really? A lot of times we follow God and want to obey God when it's convenient for us, but not when it's inconvenient. I mean, it's just a way of life. It's hard to love somebody. You know, it's easy to love somebody when everything's going great. When everything's falling apart, that's when it's difficult to love somebody. But that's when true love ought to shine. Jesus submits to our headaches. He submits Himself from this heavenly life to an earthly life with having to go to sleep, with having to take a shower, get ready. All the things that we do from day to day, Jesus did those. He submitted to that. And He submitted to the will of His Father even when He asked, Lord, may this cup pass from Me, but not My will. Your will be done. Jesus never lived for Himself. Again, Israel was a conduit to bless the world, and so is Jesus Christ. He is the pinnacle of what Israel should have been and could not be on their own. Why? Because of what happens next. When Jesus submits to baptism, to John's baptism, His baptism of repentance, His baptism of confession, what happens? The Spirit of God descends upon Him. This is a powerful scene. And John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark here, would have been an eyewitness to this more than likely. If he weren't, then Peter was, who was his disciple. It's not that the Holy Spirit is a dove, but He descends like a dove and remains on Christ. This is what it means to be the Christ, is to be the anointed one. Anointed with what? Anointed with the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is key, critical to baptism, to pleasing God, to forgiveness of sins, to everything that we were created for. John Wesley used to say, if you seek happiness, then seek holiness. Because the only way to be happy is to be holy. And I would say the only way to be holy is to have the Holy Spirit. To be anointed by the Holy Spirit. To have the Holy Spirit remaining on your life. Living in His direction. With this baptism and the Holy Spirit descending, this is a new covenant being set in place by Jesus Christ. And it will be sealed in His own blood. You know this. This is what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is the new covenant. That's why when you take the bread and dip it into the cup, one of the things that I often say is this is the blood of the New Testament. This makes the New Testament possible. This New Testament is that the Holy Spirit is now open for all people. He's not just selected for the kings or for the prophets or for the judges or for special people in, as happens in the Old Testament, but instead for all people. He also will bring light. When Jesus receives the Spirit in this way, He begins His ministry. 
From this point on, he's empowered in his ministry. He turns 30, he is baptized by John, submits to that baptism, is then filled with the Holy Spirit, so to speak. The Spirit rests upon him as this act that shows us what we ought to be doing, and that is submitting and then being filled. And then the last thing here that happens is a voice comes from heaven. And this is the Father's voice that says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is not the only time that the Father will verbally speak from heaven concerning His Son. The other time is at the Transfiguration, which we also celebrate during Epiphany. But this time He says, Look, this is my beloved Son. I am well pleased with Him. Why? Because He is exactly what we ought to be. Exactly what we have been created to be. And that is, people who love God, know God, submit to God, obey God. That's how you please God. It's not very difficult to please God. I know that a lot of times in my own life, growing up in church, we think God is our Father, so that means He's like my Father. Which my Father was impossible to please when I was younger. Now, for whatever reason, since I've had grandkids, it seems like... He's always encouraging me. But when I was young, never. <laughs> you know, I would do something and I could have always done it better. Uh, now, I appreciate that because it always made me work hard. It always made me strive to try and please Him. And He was pleased, but He just never verbally said that much. Um, he just wasn't that, that way with us. Uh, now, the boys can do any little thing and it's perfect. You know, I don't know where that came from, but... Uh, Justin and I were over Christmas we were trying to remind our dad of how he used to treat us because he was getting on to us because of how we treated our children and I'm like Pop um, I don't understand what's happening here you know (laughs) it doesn't make any sense but uh, something has clicked since we had grandchildren I don't know I guess when you see your heritage come about uh, that's a powerful change in in a person's life one day maybe I'll way down the road see that happen (laughs) No time soon, God God help us, you know. <laughs> um, the point is, look, the Father is not one that can't be pleased. He wants to be pleased with our life. He can be pleased with your life. He doesn't always look down and say, man, I just wish He could have been this or that. He's not an earthly Father. Don't get the direction of the analogy of fatherhood backward. He defines what it means to be a father, not fathers defining what he means to be a father. It's the other way around. He is a father that is pleased with us when we obey him. He loves us. He cares for you. He doesn't think you're a failure. He doesn't think you're a screw-up. He, he doesn't think that you can't do it. He's not a boss that's always riding you. He's not a boss that can't be pleased. He's a Father that cares deeply for you and knows what is best for you. He knows what is best for me. That changes my attitude toward what He gives me a lot of times. I may not know what to do with it when I'm put in a new situation, but He's one who cares and knows us so well. He knows what's best for us. 
And our response, guys, is trust. With somebody who knows that much and loves us that much, the only response is to trust Him. And we can trust Him. And that is pleasing to Him. We can find pleasure in God as He finds pleasure in us. That's what we call love. I remember in the liturgy of our marriage, we say to love and to cherish. That term cherish is an interesting term. We don't use it much in our normal speaking. I'd really cherish that or you. But it's fascinating that it's used like that. I think God cherishes us in His heart. He thinks about us. We're always on the forefront. I say that to say, you have been baptized into Christ. You have received God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And our response this morning ought to be trust and obey. Because there really is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. If you want to find happiness, it's only in Jesus. It's only in His Spirit. It's only in trusting and obeying. Two simple things that are very difficult to live out. It's just like all these playoff games. When you get down to it, when you get down to it, football is a very simple thing. You block, you catch, you pass, you get open. Very simple thing, but it's very difficult to execute. In our Christian life, it's real simple. Trust God. Obey God. And yet we have a hard time. I have a hard time. Things get in the way. Have you received the Spirit? Do you know Him? Is He doing things in your life? Really? Because He can. Do you know His forgiveness? Do you know the joy that even in the pains of our life, even in the headaches of life, the uncertainties, we can still have joy. Joy that this is not our home. That we're headed home. That one day we'll be able to sleep in our own bed. Things are passing away. This world is passing away. Do we have the assurance that we know that we know that if we pass today from this life to the next, we would be with God? We would be at peace with God. This is the good news. This is what He offers to us. This is what He offers to you. Amen.